coming to you from Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 27th of August, 2023. A cautionary tale. We're coming to the end of our study in the book of Colossians, and we've been picking up a few names out of the concluding remarks, Apostle Paul to the church there at Colossae, and sort of investigating a little bit about who they were and what they were about. And we want to do the same this morning. Invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. While you're turning there, just... Think in terms of uh, an Old Testament story, the Old Testament story of, of the deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt. What it must have been like to have been in slavery and bondage, and then Moses comes and with the authority of God. He brings plagues against Egypt because they will not let God's people go. And then in a final move of deliverance, he delivers them out of Egypt. And they said, go. And then even then, Pharaoh reneged and started chasing them. And they came between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And God came between them and opened up the Red Sea and allowed the Jews to pass through on dry land. And then once they were safely through, he removed himself and Pharaoh's army went chasing. And then, you know what happened, the chariot wheels started falling off, they get caught in the mud, and before long, the Red Sea closed over them all, and they were lost. All those were chasing God's people. But imagine standing on the far side of the Red Sea, and reflecting what had transpired over the preceding days. They had seen plagues come to Egypt. They had seen their work come to a halt. They had seen deliverance by the mighty power of God in more than one demonstration. And now they're standing on the other side of the Red Sea. And scripture records that they sang a song, a song of redeem. Horses and chariots wouldn't be able to hold them. Wouldn't be able to attack them. God had delivered them. But imagine what it would be like to be one of those Jews in that number and having gone through that experience, having seen all these things, having experienced them, and then to have a heart full of thanksgiving that God in his grace and power and might and majesty delivered them. No longer slaves to Pharaoh, now free men and women, boys and girls. And they were headed to the promised land. And there they would worship God. 
wish I could say that the story went well from that point on. But if you recall, it didn't. It wasn't too long before the Jews were grumbling. They were grumbling because they, they were missing the leeks and onions and garlic of Egypt. Of course, they weren't reflecting too much on the fact that their backs were being beaten every day as they built these edifices for the Egyptians. But they missed those things. Oh, then we could go back. Really? You want to go back? No, I don't think so. So we have a similar story today. It's not of a nation, it's of a person. And uh, what is described in the text is just the barest of outline. But I think we can fill in some of the points. So our passage today is found in Colossians chapter 4. And verse 14, as I said, we have already talked about a few of the individuals in this passage. We had talked about John Mark, who uh, would later go on to write the gospel we know as the gospel of Mark. We had talked about Tychicus, that faithful servant of, of God. And we had talked about Onesimus. That runaway slave who came in contact with Paul in Rome and had gotten saved and, and then sent back to Philemon to be a faithful servant as opposed to a runaway slave. Now we come to verse 14. And we can almost say, in passing, there is some greetings given. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. There it is. What a wonderful text for this morning. Demas. There's only a few references in all the New Testament to this person. We have already looked at one of them uh, when we were looking at the story of Onesimus and Philemon. In fact, the passage is found in the book of Philemon, verse 23 and 24. And here Paul is writing to uh, Colossae, but in that account, he's writing to a specific individual, Philemon, talking about Onesimus, the runaway slave who had gotten converted. And now here's demons. Um, Mentioned in this passage, and listen to this context in Philemon, the first chapter, verse 23 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so Demas is thrown into this group as one of Paul's fellow workers. I want you to imagine for a moment, much like the children of Israel watching the deliverance from Egypt, I want you to imagine Demas for a moment. What do we know about Demas? First of all, 
He was a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul. So he got to hang out with the Apostle Paul. Not only that, he's mentioned in the same context as some of these others. He had spent time with John Mark, who would later go on to write the Gospel of Mark. He had spent time with Luke, this physician and writer <laughs> of the Gospel. He got to be with two of the Gospel writers and with Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament epistles. That was the group he was hanging out with. But I love the fact that not only is he hanging out with all of these wonderful influencers in his life, he was there to witness what had happened to Onesimus. Here is this runaway slave found his way to Rome. And then under the providence of God had come in contact with the Apostle Paul. And Demas got to meet this person whose life was dramatically changed. Going from being a person who was called useful but was really useless to being changed in his heart, becoming a follower of God, seeing that miraculous trans transformation in, in his very presence of someone who has come to experience deliverance just like the Jews did from Egypt, had been delivered from the bondage that he was in according to sin, put his faith in Jesus Christ and see the transformation worked out in his presence. Demis, Demis saw that. In fact... He was included in the description as the message goes back to Philemon, born by Onesimus. Wow. How would you like to have that kind of context? How would you like to have those experiences, being around those godly people? That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? In fact, we talked about that in the previous message, how it is very useful, very helpful to have godly people around you to influence you. I mean, think of who you could be hanging out with and how it would turn out. And so we come to the first principle, and we'll elaborate on it a little bit as we look into 2 Timothy our first principle is great companions do not guarantee a great outcome. Just because he was hanging out with all these people, just because he was rubbing shoulders with, we would call maybe spiritual giants, it didn't turn out well for Demas. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to this. Paul is writing, He's writing to his young son in the faith, who's no longer a young son in the faith. He's been a pastor. He's been serving well. He's been in uh, Ephesus. He's been in different places. God has, com has commissioned him under the 
tutelage of Apostle Paul to be a faithful servant. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do your best to come to me in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. What do we know about Paul? Paul was in prison in Rome. Paul was, we would say, well, yeah, he was having a good time sharing the faith, but he was in prison. And there were some people, that, as Paul describes them in 2 Timothy, who had left and, and said, we're not going to stand up with Apostle Paul because what's going to happen to him could happen to us. So, so they sort of uh, backed away from him. But listen to what Paul says about Demas. Verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The word that Paul uses to describe Demas' Demons, actions is he abandoned me. He abandoned me when I needed him the most. He abandoned me. It wasn't just that Demas said, well, you've got things pretty well under control here. I think I'll move on now in my life. This would be someone who that when you turn to them for help because you were going to rely on them, they weren't there. Demas has forsaken me, has abandoned me. Why did he do this? Didn't he have all these wonderful people around him? Didn't he have all this great input into his life? Yes, he did. But it says, Demas, in love with this present world, Demas had looked at what the world had to offer and he got his eyes on Jesus and he says, I'm going to go that way. I'm going to leave what I know and what I've seen and what I've experienced and I'm captivated by what the world has to offer. And you go, Demas, how could you do that? You were around Paul and Mark and Luke and, and many of these others. You had seen the heart change of Onesimus. You were right in the thick of that and you're now leaving all that and not only leaving, you're leaving at the worst possible time. You're abandoning Paul when he needs you the most. That was Demas. Great companions do not guarantee a great outcome. And in Demas' life, he had had the great companions. We said it's great to have great companions. <clears throat> it's a good thing. But you know that's no guarantee that things will end up well. <clears throat> I like what Paul um, 
wrote in 2 Corinthians when he talked about the troubles that come to believers as they walk with the Lord. He says, sometimes we're afflicted in every way, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, but not crushed. We're perplexed, not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. What Paul was writing there, he could have said about demons, Demas forsook me. Demas abandoned me. But my God didn't forsake me. My God didn't abandon me. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I think it's interesting that the Lord came to earth to redeem those here and to deliver us out of this world system. And that's the very thing that Demas ran to. The Lord sought to redeem what Demas sought to embrace. In 1 John chapter 2, John wrote in his epistle some, some issues that are part of this uh, dealing with the world. How does a believer deal with the world? And in 1 John chapter 2, we read these words. Do not love the world or the things in this world. And that's the exact same word that is used to describe how Demas felt about the world. He says, Demas, in love with this present world. He says, he, he gave his heart, he gave his life, he gave his will to the world system. And John says, don't do it. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's hard to say, I've committed myself to God. I have, I have focused on all my attention. And remember the description of the great commandment. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Demas said, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to do that to the Lord. I'm going to do that to the Lord. The world holds the fascination, not the Lord. <clears throat> sort of like those out in the wilderness after that great deliverance of, by God of the Jews from Egypt, and now they go, oh, we want to go back. We want to go back, and you go, how could you want to go back? Do you remember what it was like? Yeah, but we're missing not only on the things that we can remember that were good, you don't remember the beating on your back? All you remember was the leeks and the garlic? But I like leeks and garlic.
John goes on, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we come to a second point. It says, while a believer's spiritual position is secure in Christ, his spiritual condition is a product of a focused heart. Product of a focused heart. See, when we give our life to Christ, when we put our trust in Christ, he's the one that guarantees our salvation. Our position with him is secure. Why? Because we really didn't have a part in our salvation other than putting our faith in his provision. But now that we're part of the family, our walk in Christ is as good as our heart's focus. Do we keep our focus on the Lord or do we turn our attention elsewhere? If you want a graphic illustration, all you have to do is look at the life of Peter. When Jesus comes walking on the water during the storm and they spot Jesus walking in the water and Peter cries out, if that's you, Lord, can I come? I want to walk on water. And the Lord said, come. And Peter got out and walked on water and you go, now that must have been an experience. And as he is walking, he's actually left the boat and moving to the Savior until something happens. You remember what it was? His focus and move from the Lord to the waves and the storm. And he began to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. See, his position with the Lord was secure. But his condition was a product of his focused heart. In this case, it focused on the wrong thing. We need to keep our focus on the Lord. Now I had Tom read the passage in Matthew chapter 13. And we're not going to review that too much. But in Matthew 13, I would just want to take you back to the third kind of soil... And he says, uh, the first soil was uh, like the pathway. The ground was stepped on so much, the seed wouldn't even find a place to, to take root, and the birds would snatch the seed away and be gone. The second one actually found a place for the seed to land and, and to start germinating and start growing, but there's, there's rocks and there's problems keeping it from taking deep root. But I want to focus on the third one. He says the third one is sown among thorns. And this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word and it becomes or proves to be unfruitful. Doesn't mean that it doesn't grow. Doesn't mean that it doesn't sprout up. But the, what happens is the weeds and the thorns 
Keep it from being productive. Keep it from being the reason why the sower sowed the seed in the first place. No sower goes out to sow seed just to say, well, I spent the afternoon sowing seed. Does he want it to be on the hard path? No. He wants it to find good soil and to grow and be productive. What would it be like if you went out to a corn maze? You had the, those every year they build these corn mazes you can't see because they've grown so tall. <laughs> and you find a pathway through it. Is that why you really grow corn most of the time? So you can have a corn maze? No. You grow it so you can have corn. So what would it be like if you had all these wonderful stalks but no ears of corn? What would it be like? Unproductive. What was the value in sowing? Be careful. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word. Is what happens in a person's heart is they get focused on the wrong thing. A believer who has given his heart to the Lord, a believer who has said, all to Jesus I surrender, all of a sudden isn't surrendering all to Jesus because he's got his focus over here. His eyes are off the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews nails it because he says, the Lord promises not to be a Demas in our life. When we turn to him, he will be there. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. What does that mean? That we will only have wonderful times and good sailing and no issues and no problems? No, he never promises that. He promises to be with us. He promises to see us through. Just like Paul said. Come to our third point. It is always a poor exchange, the temporary or the eternal. The temporary or the eternal. Demas was willing to settle for what this world could give him, knowing that his lifetime is short. I know that a majority of you probably wouldn't want the the responsibility of speaking in a memorial service and giving the message. Probably not your thing. And you might even say, why do you want to do that? I mean, that doesn't sound like a pleasant thing. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, families have lost a loved one. Maybe a good friend, a co-worker. We had a 
like I said, about 100 people here on Friday that were experiencing those kind of experiences. So, Pastor, why would you like to speak about those things? He says, because this life is temporary and there is eternal life. And I wanted to speak to those that were in that room that day and I want to take them focused off of the fact that they had a family member or a friend or a co-worker who passed and say, use this moment to think about eternity. Where are you investing? Dima said, I'm going to get all that I can, grab for all the gusto right here. This is what I've got. And the Lord says, how foolish. How foolish. John, as he writes to the first church in the series of churches in the book of Revelation, writes to the church at Ephesus. And if you read the account in Revelation chapter 2, you go, man, this is a powerhouse church. The church at Ephesus. It says they were faithful and true to God's word. They were workers. They were laborers for God. And he comes along and this is what he says. But I have something against you. I have something against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. See, Paul wasn't really concerned with the fact that Demas abandoned him. It was only indicative of the fact that Demas had already abandoned the Lord. Abandoning Paul was only part of the fallout. He says, here we have a, a man who is a faithful worker, and that's how he described him, who has now chucked it all and is going after the things of the world. Paul, John writes to the church at Ephesus, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. When you go, well, wait a minute. Didn't you just say this was a church that was full of good works? <laughs> Remember, it wasn't the works that were important. It was their focus. Was it on the Lord or not? Did they love the Lord or were they just serving him? Matthew warns of that in Matthew chapter 7. He described them as workers of lawlessness who have turned their attention from their focus on the Lord just to serve him. And he goes, well, they're busy serving him. That can't be bad, can it? I says, yeah, why? He says, because you've left your first love. You've left your first love. And that'd be a terrible place to leave that, this message. But I only have one more passage and one more principle for you. Writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12, right after the passage of chapter 11. That makes sense, right? Chapter 11 is the faith chapter. All these men and women who operated by faith 
And the writer then says, therefore, seeing as how we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, because there are so many people who have gone down this road before and followed in faith and been true in, and been pure in their love for the Lord. Doesn't mean they didn't ever make mistakes. He says, because you've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what is that race? Looking to Jesus. Where's our focus? Is it on the Lord? Or is it on something else? Where's our love centered? It can be centered on a lot of things. It can be centered on a lot of people. Is it, is it centered on the Lord? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I don't want to leave this message on a downward note. Demas having abandoned Paul, having bound, abandoned the Lord and turned his back on him, gone chasing after the things of this world, we come to the last principle that writer of Hebrews gives to us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. And in Revelation, remember where you fall and repent. Do the works you did at first. We come to the final principle. As long as we live, restoration is a possibility. You don't have to be a Demas that goes off into history with a bad record. We can be a person who says, you, you know, maybe I am a Demas. I have left my first love. I have turned my focus to the things of this world. I have, Lord, please, remember from where you've fallen, Repent and do the works which you did at first, which was keep your focus on the Lord. Let him be the love of your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we don't deserve your grace and mercy, but you lavish it upon us. And even when we are foolish and Stupid enough to leave so great a salvation and relationship with you to go off and seek the things of the world. You are gracious enough and merciful enough to restore us if we desire to come back to you in repentance and going back and replenish and renew our love. For you. We thank you so much. We thank you for the cautionary tale of Demas that you could have easily have left out of the text and we would have thought, 
all those men and women who were just wonderful and never had issues. But then we ran across the demons. And we could easily see that Demas could live today and maybe even be that person in the mirror. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. We come to you with renewed love and desire to be in your presence and have you first place in our life. We give thanks in the name of that Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.